What is up? You're listening to the 3 and D podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at 3 and Pod. You can find me on Twitter at J underscore Timberfake underscore. And as, as always, we are with the Grizzly Bear Blues Network of Podcasts. Uh, you can find them on the internet as well, on Twitter, and all the places that you listen to your podcast. Um, the season's almost here. This is your preview episode, uh, and we have my favorite guest, um, partly because I get to call him friend, uh, Mr. Eric Hasseltine, the voice of the Memphis Grizzlies. And he's going to introduce our co-host for the night. But first, Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Looking forward to uh, getting things rolling here. And uh, it's always good to be on with my man, no nickname, Benjamin P. Hogan. What's up, man? What's going on, Eric? It's been a while. I know, brother. How are you? How are you? Both, both of you are, uh, uh, are, well, I know Justin's a new parent. Ben, when's yours due? Uh, two weeks. Yeah, Steve, good luck. So at least you can get hey. some advice from, advice from Justin. <laughs> I mean, before you know it, they're, they're nine years old, which my, turn, my son turned nine on the 16th. They're playing baseball camps and karate and basketball practice, and you're, you're, you turn into a human taxi. That's about it. <laughs> I can't believe he's he's nine, almost yeah, nine. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I, I hate him. He's better looking than I was at nine years old. He's <laughs> about six inches taller than I was at nine years old, which wasn't that tough. He outweighs me by about 30 pounds. I took him to his first tennis lesson, and the tennis pro went, oh, my gosh, he's just got some athletic ability. And I said, yeah, don't remind me. So it's been fun, though. It's, it's been fun being able, you know, with all this craziness, I've been able to uh, – to be more a part of his athletic stuff, coaching, uh, helping coach his baseball team in the spring and then his flag football team and now coaching his basketball team. And, you know, I, I realized I'd probably get one or two shots at this before um, I can't really do it much anymore. So I'm enjoying it. Yeah, he's, he's growing up fast. It happens in the blink of an eye, man. Let me tell you, you guys will find that out in a hurry. Everybody says that and you think, oh, man, it feels like forever until I'm going to get some sleep. And then you wake up and they're five and then – you wake up and they're in first grade and then you wake up and they're going to fifth grade. My daughter's going to be a junior, is a junior in high school. She's applying to colleges. And I'm just like, well, where in the world did this time go? So That's crazy. Uh, Eric, That's awesome. we, we appreciate you coming on. Let's, let's jump in with this. Um, yeah. I, I have been more impressed with John Morant than I ever expected to be um, watching him in the preseason. Uh, what's it been like watching his growth? Um, he, it seems like he controls the game more than I've ever seen a point guard control the game. Yeah, we actually mentioned that on our last broadcast. Um, I talked with both Michael Wallace, who did the fourth and final preseason game, and Elliot Perry, who did the third game, uh, the two games against the Hawks. And we, we've all kind of come to the same thing. You know, there's usually a jump from year one to year two. Jaw looks like he's made the jump from year one to year four. I mean, he's just in control of the game. He didn't have as crisp a game in that in the final preseason game. The Hawks did a little bit more clogging of the lane, but you can just see he can get to the to the basket whenever he wants. And you know, I say he didn't have a crisp game, and he still nearly finished with a double double. And the Grizzlies were cruising when their starters were in there. So um, his ability to hang in the air, make plays that other guys just simply can't make, is special. And then, you know, now he's figuring out when to use that athleticism. He's still going to make some mistakes that 21-year-old point guards will make that, you know, a Chris Paul isn't going to make. But he's going to be able to make plays that a Chris Paul isn't going to be able to make athletically. Chris Paul is one of the greatest managers of the game I've ever seen. 
The one thing nobody talks about with Ja is how remarkable his ball handling is. I mean, the best in the league, and we all, I think, pretty much agree that I've talked to is Kyrie Irving. And Steph Curry is an amazing dribbler and has, has worked so hard and has his routine pregame. But John Morant has got that ball on a string this year, and, and it's going to be fun to watch. Now, you know, it's kind of hard to gauge what's going to happen after just four preseason games and against the same two teams who I think Atlanta can contend for a playoff spot in the East when they figure it out and kind of get their chemistry. I don't think Minnesota is anywhere near a playoff team in the West right now. No disrespect to them. Uh, the West is just loaded. They've got talented players, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell. Um, Anthony Edwards is the number one pick. It's it seemingly taken him a minute or two to get his feet underneath them. But I remember seeing Anton Jameson his rookie year in preseason and thinking this guy's got a long way to go. Then saw him a month later, and he dropped 25 in a game against Sacramento. So, I mean, it, it, it clicks for guys at different times. But um, the thing about all four of those games, though, were the Grizzlies uh, the ability to move the basketball, the ability to attack the rim, to set up the perimeter, to still be able to dump it in the post. And it, and it started and stopped with John Morant. And, and he's just got that kind of feel for the game. And it's different. You know, there's there's a difference in guys that want to be great, that, that will put in the blood, sweat, and tears to be the best at their craft. And Ja has that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so do you think the Grizzlies have a chance for a play-in spot even with having to wait on Winslow and, and uh, Jackson Jr. coming back from injury, like are they in play or is it going to be just too much in the West? Oh, I think they're in play. I mean, I just think you look at it and you, you go, okay, well, we know there's, you know, everybody says there's seven bona fide playoff teams. And, you know, whether that includes Houston or not remains to be seen. If James Harden is, is traded from Houston, what do they get in return? How does that happen? Who knows? You know, he may stay in Houston and, find the chemistry with John Wall and, and John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins reuniting may convince him that, that they can make a run with that group and, you know, with Steven Silas as their new head coach. But I think, you know, we all know that the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nuggets are going to be there. We expect that the Mavericks and, and, uh, and the Blazers will be there as well. And right there, there's five. And so then now you're talking about, all right, the Jazz are in that mix too, so there's six. Now if we're including Houston, that's seven. Who's going to battle for that eight spot? Oklahoma City uh, kind of expected to fall off, but they were expected to fall off last year, and they didn't. So how good will they be? Obviously, it's a little bit different look. They've lost a lot of firepower. Steven Adams gone. Danilo Gallinari gone. Um, it, it just seems to be a rebuild situation for Sam Presti with all the draft picks they've acquired through the, the trades that they've made. Um, you, you look at the way Phoenix played at the end of the bubble, the addition of Chris Paul. You have to put them in play. I think you have to include the Grizzlies in that mix as well. Um, Sacramento, I think, has to be included as well with the, you know, with the young nucleus of De'Aaron Fox and, and Buddy Heald. And who knows what they're going to get from Marvin Bagley, the former number two pick. If he, if he gives them what I've heard he's capable of, then they've got, a, they've got a chance too. So I think they're in play. I think you kind of look and you scratch out and don't forget about Golden State getting Steph Curry back. But without Klay Thompson, a little different. They did get James Wiseman, but Klay Thompson's a big piece to that. And Draymond Green, um, you know, didn't look like Draymond Green last year for the entire season. So we'll see. But you, you have to put the Grizzlies in there. Um, it's just going to be a gauntlet night in, night out. Minnesota, it looks like, you know, they could struggle. Oklahoma City could struggle, as we, we've talked about. San Antonio, where do you put them? How healthy do they stay? They're coming off their first miss of a postseason in two decades. 
But I think you'd be crazy not to include them. A lot of projections have them around 12th. I think they, they could finish anywhere from, honestly, if they, if they click and they can hang on until Jaron and Justice get back, you know, I could, I could see them getting to seven. I could see them getting to eight and playing in that play-in series. I could see them in nine. I could see them in 10. I could see them in 11 or 12. I just think they're going to be better than people think. And I think the, the willingness and ability now with Grayson Allen healthy, Dylan Brooks seemingly improved, the addition of Desmond Bain, who we'll see what kind of minutes he actually plays in the regular season, but the Anthony Melton shot looking good. And they had guys, they had games in the preseason where they took 50 threes, 50. There were, there were three game stretches in the grit and grind era where they didn't take 50 threes. They took 50 in games and made close to 40%. If you're making 37, 38%, you're chucking up 40 to 53s, you're going to score a lot of points. Mm-hmm. And they're better defensively than people think. They'll get even better when they get Winslow and Jackson, but they're going to pride themselves on being able to play some D, too. Um, I know this year's a little bit different. I mean, obviously, it's a lot bit different. Uh, with no crowds, does that kind of benefit a young team like the Grizzlies? They don't have a crowd, a visiting crowd kind of on them when they make mistakes it just allows them to play through it or does it do you think it doesn't matter I think it actually hurts them um, this is a group of guys that, that plays with a lot of confidence you know Ja likes that that edge to him like that chip on his shoulder and on the home floor it, it hurts them because they feed off of that energy and you could see that last year there were games where they fed off of that energy one of the most notable to me and I, I'm not trying to take a shot at our fans but it just wasn't a huge crowd their last home game against Orlando and when they needed a boost the crowd kind of got behind them but it wasn't like we had seen in some other games for whatever reason it was a midweek game I think fans just expected them to pay Orlando back for a game that they played in Orlando prior to you know early in the season where they they had a third quarter lead and then I think they scored eight points in the fourth quarter and got outscored 36 to 8 and that was all she wrote and it was, a, it was a very lopsided score, but it was a basically a very lopsided 12 minutes. So I don't know what it was, but you could kind of see that there wasn't that same charge because, you know, Orlando just doesn't boast a lot of stars. And stars help draw bigger crowds. And so uh, – and I think people just expected the Grizzlies to win that game. But it was a good crowd, but they fed off of the energy from the crowd. On the road, I don't think it matters with them as much because they, they, they bond together – you know, the bubble was a situation where everybody's like, oh, well, in the bubble they didn't win, and that was on the road. Yeah, well, they didn't have Tyus Jones either. That was the injury nobody really talked about, certainly losing Jaron and losing Justin Hurt, but when you, or Justice Hurt. But when you take Tyus Jones out of the mix, and now DeAnthony Melton has to play more on the ball rather than where he's more comfortable off the ball, uh, that, that's a big difference. So um, I think it hurts this team probably more than it hurts veteran-laden teams. Because veteran-laden teams just go out and play. Um, and right. they, can, they, they, they start getting into the jawing with the fans a little bit more because at that stage of your career, you know, Joe, the, the, the guy working at, you know, wherever, his local office firm that's given, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge 10 pounds of grief because he <laughs> says LaMarcus can't play dead in a Western or something like that. And LaMarcus just looks back and says, yeah, but you still paid for a ticket to watch me play, so why don't you sit there and shut up? You know, those are the conversations that happen. With, with young guys, they kind of will take a look. They'll feed off of it and try to let them boost that energy up a little bit more, whereas veteran guys, I don't think, really use that as much of a boost as, as young guys do. 
Well, Eric, I know you got to run and uh, go see your boy uh, get his belt in karate. So uh, I appreciate you having, yeah. having your own. We're graduating to uh, to the purple belt. So uh, only a couple more stops on the way to black, but it starts to take a little bit longer now. So super proud of him. He's stuck with it since he was uh, four. So this is his fifth year in karate. And um, I always tell other parents, I got to be out of my mind because not only is my kid probably going to be about uh, three or four inches taller than me, maybe even five or six, probably about 30 pounds heavier, but he's going to be able to whip my butt. So um, <laughs> I got to get my shot in now. I mean, this kid, he went out there and did a little nunchucks display for his teacher the other day. And I was like, I'm in real trouble the minute I tell him no. And he wants to push back a little bit, but uh, I'm really proud of him. Uh, they do a great job out here in Germantown with my friend, uh, Don Crenshaw's USA Karate. So I'll give them a little plug and, you know, I've taught him a lot of discipline and, and I, I appreciate you guys understanding. I would love to come back anytime. You guys know I'd, I'd always love to be on Ben. It's so good to see uh, the, the success that you're having and, Justin, you as well, and, and and so happy for both of you guys to get to enjoy fatherhood. And Ben, maybe you can uh, maybe you can see a big night from Juju Smith-Schuster because your fantasy football team. All Bennett Doyle was talking about Saturday night in the booth when he was engineering the game was how he just wanted to win. He just wanted to beat you. And as the defending <laughs> champ, you got to know everybody's gunning for you, buddy. I know, I know. He's got to put up about two hundred points on me to beat me, but. Uh... I need about 30 from Juju. I don't see that happening, but I appreciate that. If, if, there, if there's a defense they could go big against, it's probably Cincinnati, let's be honest. Yeah, and they might use it as a get-right game. That would be fun. That would be fun for all involved. You guys keep up the great work. Looking forward to the season starting. I can't wait to be on with you again soon. Yeah, man. Have good a good night. Eric. All right, guys. All right. All right, on the other side of the break, uh, Ben and I will talk about Jonas Valanciunas, Dylan Brooks, and some season expectations. Uh, so we will be back in just a sec. All right, welcome back. Again, we want to uh, say a big thank you to uh, Eric Hasseltine. He is a, definitely a friend of, of both of ours. Um, he does not have to come onto this podcast and do this, but he does it because of us um, and just out of the kindness out of his heart. So um, he was literally sitting in his car uh, waiting to go inside and see his son graduate up a belt. So a uh, big shout out to him. I know he's excited for uh, the Grizzlies to be back um, and be back in the forum calling games. Um, it's probably, you know, honestly, Ben, it's probably better for him, this, this pandemic thing, because uh, the radio broadcast scenes won't be traveling. So he'll actually get to be home right. more uh, with his boys. So that's, that's awesome for him. Yeah. I mean, I know he enjoys uh, visiting all the, all the visiting, all the cities and everything like that. And when he goes West Coast, he is able to see his family over there. But now he can just do it on his own time. And he will be able to see his his son more. Yeah, as you said, here in Memphis. And he can just kind of keep everything in the form instead of just packing up everything, going from place to place, kind of slow down a little bit. Sometimes that's what you need. For sure. So let's uh, let's talk about Valanciunas. You did his player profile preview. And uh, I had a, a piece come out today talking about um, how he is underrated. Um, and it, you and I are definitely on the same page. We've had three top 100 NBA player rankings come out, CBS, ESPN, and Sports Illustrated. And Sports Illustrated gave him 97th, which is still a joke, but at least they mentioned him. Um, and then I talked with Sam Quinn at, at CBS Sports, and I, I just asked him, I said, how is this even possible? And he just told me, he's like, I don't like centers. 
So it just tells me like personal preference of style what? of play came into came into a factor. Yeah. How I mean, it's one of the f- five starting positions on the in, in the NBA. You you can't say I don't like centers. I mean, that just doesn't that doesn't make any sense. That's a weak argument. Well, if you're Parker Fleming, it's it's position as a basketball. So like you don't have. I mean, I mean the Rockets didn't roll a center out last year. Right. I mean, I understand the positionless basketball and, you know, the uh, team's moving to smaller lineups and everything like that. But when you got a guy that's basically, you know, he's almost a guaranteed double-double. Like, some games he won't get it, but he's going to flirt with it. Yeah. And he's changing the game. I mean, he's – I just don't get things like that. He's on the court. He's playing on a team that narrowly missed the playoffs. And he's one of their – I guess he was – top three on the team last year. You know, you got Ja Jaron and Jonas. Well, in terms of uh, player efficiency, he was number 17 in the entire NBA. And, like, that's that's the crazy part for me is player efficiency rating is an ESPN-created stat from when John Hollinger was their advanced stats guy. And he was 17th in the entire league, first on the Grizzlies in efficiency, and he was, he was sixth in the entire league in rebounding, but somehow he's not top 100 player. And then his win share was seven last year, and he was about 20 in that as well. And he was four, three more than any of the, the next closest Grizzly, which I think was Brandon Clark. Right. And so, like, I, the only game I've ever gotten to cover as a media member was on the road in Orlando. And I remember sitting there next to Rob Fisher and watching this man dominate the game. He – that was a night that he set the career high in uh, rebounds and almost broke the Grizzlies franchise record for rebounds in the game. Got up to like 24, I think. And like, you just don't break records for a franchise if you're not a great player. I mean, I guess he's not like, an, he's not an all-star. Like nobody's going to go out there and say that Jonas Valanciunas is an all-star. But there's right. only what, 26 all-stars in a season. There's like 13 a team or something like that. So like, that's the top elite of the league. I'm not asking. Like, I'm not saying he's a top 50 player, but to say that he is—he's not top 100 when he brings so much, especially right now with with Jaron Jackson Jr. out. It doesn't make any sense. Like, so talk a little bit about your player preview, like what, Jonas's role with this team, and like why is he so important? I just think he's important because when he came to the Grizzlies, there were there was a lot of talk. Like, is he going to fit in? Is he going to slow down the offense, or is Ja going to be able to play with them? Is you know, is he going to be able to pair up next to Jaron. Is Jaron going to be the center? All, there are so many of these questions when Jonas was traded for. And then he just answered the call and he did it quietly. In fact, he's actually gotten better, it seems like. He set career highs last year and rebounds per game. And it just seems like he's getting better. He's gotten comfortable with his role. And he knows what he's supposed to go out there and do. And he does it. And I just think that's overlooked by pretty much everybody because – I think he hasn't reached his peak yet. I, I expect him to even better his stats from last year. Just because it's another year with the Grizzlies, he is going to be expected to do more down low with Jaron out. Once Jaron comes back, I don't know. I mean, I, and he also took more threes last year than he has before. So he is working on that part of his game. So I still think that there is room for him to grow and to get to a better player. Right. So he's had a whole season to get used to playing with Morant. And you can kind of see it some in the preseason. These dump-offs to Valanciunas from Morant are going to be there all season long because Morant is going to draw so much attention when he drives in. 
And when Jaron comes back, Jaron is probably just going to float around the three-point line anyways. So right. when, when Jonas is in there, here's, here's a hot take. Jonas Valanciunas is a better fit for this iteration of the Grizzlies roster than Mark Gasol would have been. I can see that. Uh, I mean, because Mark wasn't really – he did develop his three-point game and everything like that, but he wasn't going to go down there on the offensive end and necessarily bang with the big guys like Jonas will, I think. I mean, I it's hard to say, but it also felt like the offense had to run through Mark, and it doesn't have to run through Jonas. Right, but I, and, and the main reason I say that is because Jaron's glaring weakness other than foul trouble is rebounding. Mark yeah. Gasol's glaring weakness as a seven-foot center was rebounding. And that's why, that's why Randolph was such a great fit next to him. So it's like Balanchunas is Jaron Jackson's, you know, Zach Randolph to his Mark Gasol. Like, they, the pairing of that just makes this team flow better than I think Mark Gasol at this stage in his career would have, if that makes any sense. It does. I mean, I, I see where you're going with that. Especially, I don't think a guy like Mark Gasol would fit next to Jaron Jackson really well in this offense because it's, it's – your two big men are going to be guys that are, are hanging around the three-point and free-throw line for the most part. Sure, that may open up the lane a little bit for Ja to drive, but I think Jonas is trying to develop that outside game just a little bit, just enough to where he can be somewhat of a threat – outside to where the big men are going to have to at least stretch their defense a little bit and respect his shot out there. And I think that could open up things for Ja as well. I mean, look at the the team that just won the championship. When they ran out of lineup, you had the the guy at the four who was, you know, our Jaron Jackson Jr. or their version of Jaron Jackson Jr., a a seven-footer who could spread the floor shooting and was a, was a great defensive player. And then the guy at the five, like, his role was to rebound and play defense. And while Valanciunas isn't necessarily the greatest defender, he's going to rebound, and he is much better offensively than anybody that the Lakers were throwing out there at the five. Like, it's just a fit. Like, I don't think Jaron would fit next to Carl Anthony Towns. I think that would be a terrible fit um, because neither one of them would go down there and rebound, um, especially on the offensive end. But on defensive end, Jaron just get pushed around, and Cat has become some passive – I don't even know. Like, there are great players in the NBA that play at the center position that would just not be good fits on this team. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I think, like I, like I said, it's just – it's crazy that we had all these questions about if he was going to fit, and he's more or less the perfect fit, at least for right now. And, you know, I there's always going to be that question, should the Grizzlies look to the future – with him at the five or should they try and, you know, play Jaron more at the five as a look ahead to the future? I think right now, I mean, I think you just got to go with what you got and don't even worry about that and see how Jonas develops. And, you know, he's still, I think he's 28 years old. He still, he still has a, a bunch of years left in him, if you ask me. So I don't even think that should be a question right now. Yeah. He, he is in the midst of his prom right now and you can tell yeah. that he's, he's getting better. Um, and I think the the Valanciunas answer long term comes down to Brandon Clark. Honestly, do we yeah. believe that Brandon Clark is going to be somebody that is a starting caliber four on a contender, or is he best suited to to be a bench guy? Um, and I think 
I think they're going to start Kyle Anderson, but I think it'd be wise to let Clark run with the starting unit some just to kind of see if he can do it. I mean, it's, granted, he's a sophomore. There is room and time for him to develop, but I think Valanciunas has this year and next year left on his contract. I'm not sure Clark's ready by the end of Valanciunas' contract. Um, so, it, you know, will Jonas take a discount and stay here um, past that, or will he become something that's just – comes a price range where they make the decision, all right, it's just time for us to roll with Jaron at the five. Um, we'll get some backup big on a cheap deal and then then roll from there. But I think Brandon Clark might be the key to JV's future. And, I, and you know, if you look at all the uh, proposed trades and every wheeling and dealing going on on Twitter, uh, a lot of people have high expectations for Brandon Clark. I mean, they think that he is going to be that guy. And, yeah, he does need to – get some run with the with the starting unit, whether that be as the starting five or the closing five, because, you know, now it's not really about who starts. It's more about who closes in those tight games. And that'll be interesting to see if they will go with uh, Brandon Clark over Kyle Anderson at that point. Yeah, and I think that depends on how well Kyle's playing too. Um, I, I do love kind of looking back at last year with uh, with Coach Jenkins. You know, a lot of, a lot of coaches really just automatically – just default back to the starting lineup. They're going to be the guys that close the game. But Jenkins seemed to do a good job of like, all right, these are the five guys that are playing the best tonight. Some nights he right. closed in with Grayson. Some nights he closed with DeAnthony. Um, some nights it was, you know, Clark or Jaron next to Jonas or Jonas was out. Like, I, I do love that about Jenkins being willing to go with the, the hot five. Um, and sometimes that meant Dylan Brooks is out. And that's who we're going to talk about next, Ben, is Dylan <laughs> Brooks. Um we're all familiar with Dylan Brooks Island, owned by uh, Parker Fleming and, and Connor Dunning. Um, we are also familiar with mine and Leanna Ritter's uh, pure disdain for Dylan Brooks. But the person that wrote his player preview coming out uh, with this episode is you. So how do you feel about Dylan Brooks and what are your expectations for him this year? Um, I'm kind of in the middle with you guys. I know that's a safe spot, I guess, because I'm not as like high on Dylan Brooks as Parker and Connor, but I lean more towards them than I do with y'all because I think uh, every team needs to have a guy that can score quickly, you know, kind of like, you know, guy, usually it's a guy that comes off the bench, Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford or some guy like that. And I understand that Dylan, he can shoot you into games. He can shoot you out of games. I mean, one thing I brought up uh, in the player preview is like over an eight-game stretch in uh, January, he averaged, I think, 26 points on 50% shooting. And then the next nine-game stretch, he averaged 9.3 points on 28% shooting. And he was basically averaging the same amount of shots per game. Uh, So that's what you get with Dylan Brooks. But – in the preseason, at least, it looks like he's a little more disciplined on his shot selection. Looks like he wants to get his teammates involved a little bit more. And I think his, if his game matures that way and to where he just plays within himself, I think we'll see this. It'll just make the Grizzlies that much better. And I think that he's leaning more towards that than I think y'all are. He just kills the Grizzlies. He kills momentum. He kills everything when he's not making shots because, you know, he's like the opposite of a heat check. He's going to keep shooting until he misses or until he makes one. So let's, let's just, let's just call it what it is and be real honest. After Dylan Brooks got the bag, he was trash. 
Yeah, that's true. That was true. That is true. After the extent, and you know, I don't know if that was like pressure. I've got to live up to this contract, or or what it was, or he's just like, oh, I don't, I've got paid, so I'm some whatever. Like you're talking about playing within himself. Like, does he know what within himself is? Who is that? Who is the Dylan Brooks that is within himself? Is is kind of the question that I have now. Um, I can get off the burn down Dylan Brooks Island boat if Dylan Brooks does do what you're saying. He kind of moves towards getting his teammates involved and taking less dumb shots. Like him taking open threes, spot up threes, like I I will live with that all day long. But these stupid dribble into the paint, fadeaway <laughs> mid-range jumpers have got to stop. And if he can eliminate some of those and just, like you said, play within himself or just be the guy that comes off the bench and does that kind of stuff, like, right. get out of the starting lineup. I, I, I can't do it. And I, I do think – I don't necessarily think it was a message from the front office, but them drafting Desmond Bain, I think that may also light a fire underneath them as well because there's plenty of guys on this team that can take minutes from Dylan. So if he's going to go out there and try and, you know, do what he did last year and just keep shooting until he makes one. I, I think that Taylor James is going to have a shorter leash on him this year. Right. Cause they have other guys that can plug in for him. Yes. Yeah, so I think Nathan Chester talked about like he, he's got to fill that gunner role. And last year, like nobody, we didn't have anybody in that role. Um, so like they just gave him that leash, but you're right. I think he will have a, a shorter leash this year. Um, I would love to see his minutes kind of go down. Here's the question. Where do you think Dylan should fall on a nightly basis as far as terms of number of shot attempts? Like, what what rank should he be on shot attempts per night? I think uh, I think ten to twelve is okay. Okay, so um, the the stat I found was he was one of three players. I guess well, he was only two players shot more shots per game in fewer minutes or less than twenty nine minutes than he did. And it was Zion and Derrick Rose. So, yeah. So, for guys that play 29 minutes or less, he took the third most amount of shots. That averaged 29 minutes. And so, that's why I think 10 to 12 is reasonable for that. And if he's feeling it, then, you know. Right. And if he's feeling it, if it's supernova Dylan, then let it, let it fly. Yeah. I, I think he should never have more attempts than Morant, Jackson, and sometimes Valanciunas, depending on where – if he's an average Dylan Brooks night, like he should not be ahead of them in shot attempts. If it's a super right. over Dylan, then fine. You know, jack up 20 shots, it's go for it. Um, but it's just, I think the success, and, you know, Eric talked about the team could get up to a seven seed. That's lofty in my opinion. But if it's a scenario where we're looking at a seven seed, I think it's because Dylan has begun to, to play within himself. His minutes are probably a little limited. His shots are a little limited. But he's making good decisions. Um, and it looks like I sent Parker a text of the night. It looks like his release on his shot has been tweaked a little bit. It doesn't seem like the ball, like his release is going off to the side, like in a, in a Joachim Noah type style, but it looks like it's yeah. more fluid and, and he's following through more straight. And if that's the case, he's going to be able to more easily repeat his shot and be consistent. Yeah, and it also, like I mentioned, his assist-to-turnover ratio last year was like a, basically a one-to-one. 
so far in the preseason, it's been basically a three to one. So even that, that's an improvement. I understand mm-hmm. small sample size. You have all that. And we've seen this before, you know, he goes into spurts. He has, you know, seven, six, eight games in which he does something well, and then it just drops off. So if he can continue to do this, if he's consistent, I mean, that's all I'm asking for is consistency. I mean, I think that's all really you're asking for is consistency. That's all I want. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so listen with this. What, what are your expectations for this team this season? Um, man, it's tough because that West is loaded. Um, are you talking about making the playoffs, missing the playoffs, or like just kind of what the team to achieve this year? Because Both. Just answer, answer both those. Okay, I, I think that they're one of the teams that end up playing between the seven and, you know, for the playoffs. I don't necessarily know if they get in this year because they're still young and they do have injuries to start the season, a couple of key injuries. It all depends on how they, they start, honestly. But I do think we see John Morant turn into the superstar that we all expect him to be. Uh, we've seen flashes of it. Uh, I mean, he's been incredible in the preseason. I just think finally the rest of the – Country takes notice, and, you know, not everybody's going to be talking about just Zion as, you know, a top rookie last year. I know John Morant's getting a lot of pub and everything like that, but it just seems like more people want to talk about Zion still. I think finally Ja turns into that superstar that the Grizzlies franchise basically really hasn't ever had. Um, And I think all the young guys, not all the young guys, but I do think – they all grow together. I think we see a team that matures and they may peak at the right time, which would be playoff time. And that could be a reason for them to make it into the playoffs. But I just think with uh, Taylor Jenkins, like you said, he's very good with lineups and making sure the right guys are in at the end. And I think that goes a long way as well. Right. And so I'm actually going to look at uh, a piece exploring it. I'm, I'm going to let a couple of games play out early before I, I really go dive into it. And I think the Grizzlies um, have a chance to, to definitely pass the over on their expectations of winning in Vegas like they did last year, partly because they don't pay attention to Memphis and what's going on. But second, <laughs> because of this shortened offseason, um, I think these teams that had less roster turnover are going to be good early, and they're going to beat these teams that have just flipped rosters completely um, and steal some wins early um, to stay afloat and above water and probably above 500 while Jaron is out. Because um, teams like Memphis and Miami and Orlando, um, they didn't really have any roster turnover. They drafted rookies, but there wasn't a bunch of trades and signings and all that kind of stuff. It was it is the same right. guys from last year that – and chemistry with no training camp, um, this no new coach, like the same system, you've got more time to work those things out. I think that's going to matter early. And I think that's what happened we saw with the Hawks and the Timberwolves. Like you've got a lot of newness with both those teams. Now, Timberwolves aren't going to be good, period. But like the Hawks are right. going to be decent. But because they're still trying to figure out the kinks with all the new stuff they have going on, we're going to be able to catch teams with that early. And that's what's going to put us in that nine ten range, I think. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think, yeah, we're both on the same page where I, I think that they're going to be in a position to where they could end up making the playoffs. It just, just depends on how everything bounces, I guess. Obviously, health is key. You know, if, depending on Justice Winslow is always going to be a question mark. If he can stay healthy, I think that might be, 
you know, one of the X factors for the Grizzlies this season. Yeah, for sure. And I think Jaw is going to take that superstar leap, uh, like you like you said, and, and Eric, and he nailed it with the leap to year four is what it looked like. Um, just the way – like I know it's just preseason, but preseason or not, the way he controlled those basketball games against professional athletes is just insane. Um, so I think he's going to have a, a – like, oh, we should be looking at, at Jaw for most improved or even, you know, talking about the MVP consideration – yeah, he's not going to win it this year, but he, you know, he may get a vote. You never, you know, it could be one of those kind of seasons. Maybe it'll be the guy that didn't vote him rookie of the year, just kind of making it up for him. <laughs> but right, well, the thing is, yeah, I'd rather see God do that in the preseason than sleepwalk through it. Oh, no doubt. So, I mean, like you said, it's good to see him do that against NBA level competition, even if it is preseason. For sure. Well, you guys uh, get used to hearing Ben on the 3 and D podcast. He's going to be a regular with me uh, throughout this season. Um, ben, uh, I know you got the baby coming in a couple of weeks. So I know you'll need some time <laughs> when that <laughs> happens. Give me a call if you have any questions. We uh, we just hit four months yesterday with ours. So it's definitely a joy. Nice. But, uh, do what? Say congrats on the, on the four months. I mean, I know each month at a time is a – especially during this time, it's a, right. it's a feat. For sure, and he's and he's growing big, and he loves basketball, man. He he was watching the Grizzlies without blinking the other night. He uh, the night of the NBA draft, he was real fussy, and the only thing that kept him quiet was the draft. Um, so <laughs> we got a little Hooper on our hands for sure. That's good. All right, well for Ben, uh, this has been another episode of the Three and D podcast. Make sure you check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, look up the uh, Grizzly Bear Blues at SBN Grizzlies on Twitter. Uh, make sure you listen to our other podcast, the Core 4 podcast, the Starting 5, and GBB Live. Until next time, we'll see you later.